Get Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 244. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi, Ross, Ross, Jedi, Jay, and as always, it's so wonderful to have all you babies back here with me in the L5J Studios. Tonight, we've got a, le- a little bit of a special setup. Joining me is someone familiar to many of you. He's been known greatly in the past for his work on IDW's My Little Pony. He is becoming quickly known as one heck of a Marvel variant artist due to a string of amazing Marvel variant covers in the past year. He is also the creator of his own project. It's called Bodhi Troll, and it's quite wonderful. Uh... And other than that, he's just known for being a swell guy. That's J.P. Fosgett. Hello, Jay. Hey, Jay. How are you? I'm wonderful. Uh, thank you for joining me this evening. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited, more so than, than previously because of our topic. Uh, yes, it's exciting. Uh, I just want to say to anyone who happened to see Jay's last live Facebook video, Jay does a live Facebook show called Foscast, where he just draws and answers questions and uh, last two episodes, we tried me helping him out by just reading the questions to him via Skype uh, so he didn't have to look at the comments every two seconds. I think it's been fun. Jay thinks it's been a nightmare. but we might, we might try it again. You know, We'll, we'll have to smooth out the wrinkles. But uh, either way, if you saw the last one, that what's today? June 7th? 8th. 8th. If you saw the one that happened on June 8th, that literally just happened. And we're going straight into recording this episode. So just so for some pulling back of the curtain funness for anybody who happened to be watching that, this is happening immediately after that. So remember back to whatever you were doing right after that, and you were doing that while we were doing this. Yeah, so hopefully, welcome to our time machine. Yes. There you go. Timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. So uh, tonight uh, is a special show. Jay is a dear friend, and only could a dear friend request an episode. And when he requested and suggested we do this, I was absolutely down for it because I was a big fan myself of the subject matter. Tonight we are talking about American gods. Uh, For some, just to lay it out for you, we've both seen every episode. We're going to be talking lots about the show, of course. I have seen, if you've read, uh, spoilers, by the way. This is going to be an absolutely spectacularly spoilery episode. So if you don't want to hear about this or you haven't seen the show, you might want to wait till later. Uh, I have read in the book by Neil Gaiman. The book is by author Neil Gaiman, a genius Neil Gaiman. Uh, I have read up to the House on the Hill, is it called? or? Oh, the uh, House on the Rock. The House on the Rock, yes. I read up to where they just got to there, and some weird voodoo kind of stuff happened, and that's where I had gotten to jay you've been a long time fan of the book read it several times i believe i own a first edition of the book it came out in either 2000 or 2001 and i'd read about it coming out in starlog magazine which is a long defunct sci-fi horror fantasy film magazine and so i'm like wow this book sounds awesome i love neil gaiman i gotta get it 
and then I read the book. And in the preceding years, I've read it maybe a dozen or more times, 20 times. Uh, I've owned the original audiobook recording, which had a single author who was a very talented, distinguished gentleman. And then a couple of years ago, they did a full cast recording of the book that I also own that is just unbelievable. It's way better with the full cast. Was anybody was, in that that we would know? Uh, the only person I can think of who was, was in it that you guys might remotely know, the, narr- the, the overall narrator for the full cast recording. Um, have you ever seen the movie Batteries Not Included? Of course. Okay, do you remember the painter <coughs> in it who, who kind of falls in love with the pregnant lady? Yeah, super 80s that guy. Yes, okay, so he's the narrator. Right. Yeah, of of okay, the, very cool. The, yeah, so he's the the most recognizable guy. The rest are some awesome character actors that have worked in Frank Darabont films and things like that over the years. So that there's there's a, a wonderful subject for at least a sketch or two of one of your episodes would be some batteries not included. I love that movie I'm so glad much. You brought that up. I haven't thought of that movie in a long time. That movie is a treasure. I remember seeing that. If anybody's familiar with the Mississauga area. I saw that back at South Common Mall when it had the cinemas. And I know you'll get nostalgic when I say that. 1987, folks. 1987, man. That's fantastic. So, Neil Gaiman. I discovered Neil Gaiman through Sandman back Mm -hmm. in the day, which is a a string of comics that he did, if anybody's unfamiliar. If anybody has absolutely no idea about Neil Gaiman... uh, What's wrong with you? (laughs) Well, what do you say? Gothic sci-fi fantasy writer? Like... I wouldn't even say sci-fi. I'd say author. He's an author. Goth- gothic fantasy, I think, is is probably. I mean, there's elements of everything in there, but he says he loves myth. He is all about myth. So I would say dark myth. That's well, his that's comics it. were what he became known for. But since then, now he would be considered an author. Well, yeah, but you know, you're an author when you're writing comics. Yes, but you're more of a writer. There is a distinction there. Oh, I guess I've never made that distinction, but I suppose you've never sat down and spent six months writing a novel either, have you? Uh, No, I've spent a couple of years making a graphic novel. Would you have you ever written prose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how how long? Um, not extensively. You know, like short stories and things of that nature. Scripts. Would you ever attempt it? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely would. That'd be cool, eh? Just like pull the what was the Chevy Chase movie, Funny Farm? Yes. When he just buys the farm so he can sit and write. <laughs> yes. No, I remember that movie well. Directed by George Roy Hill. Oh, that's great. Okay, so you were excited, obviously, to hear that this TV show was coming out. Uh-huh, yeah. I was very optimistic, and uh, I paid off to be optimistic. Well, they've been trying to find the proper way to translate his stories into film for a while now. Stardust was a story of his. Mm-hmm. That movie, if you remember that movie, uh, I don't know if he's gotten to screen other than his Doctor Who episodes, uh, The Doctor's Wife, one of the greatest Doctor Who episodes ever written. I know Jay is unfamiliar with Doctor Who, but this is one of those episodes where as long as you know the basics, like this is his time box and he flies around in it having adventures if as long as you know that much you can pretty much watch this episode it's kind of a one-off right it's not part of a grander arc mm-hmm. so uh but it's it's just got gaming all over it like it, it's absolutely it's a it's a brilliant concept what he does in this episode 
So I knew of the concept, and like I said, even before, like I'd read just part of the book. I guess maybe I'm almost halfway through being at that point. But, you know, uh, sometimes as it is, the show comes out before I get a chance to finish the book. So I'm going to try to keep reading in between seasons because it didn't go that far. It was pretty much only the first, like, you know, a bunch of chapters of the book, right? Yes. Um, and how can I put this? They, they're still – they're very faithful to the book in the TV series, but they are – uh, adding, not subtracting. So they're building up so many moments and things that they're able to stretch out smaller parts of the book into the entire series. So they're going to have some longevity, and its popularity has already necessitated season two to be approved. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but what you were saying earlier, um, you know, Gaiman stuff has been on the screen before. Um, he uh, Neverwhere was made for the BBC. A uh, number of years ago, it was a BBC miniseries, and it was right. like it looks really old and wonky because they did it all on videotape, like the old TV series used to be done, rather than uh, film. And but it's really good; it's really excellent. I believe that was his first uh, filmed interpretation of his work. He actually wrote that screenplay. Well, Coraline was him as well. Yes, Coraline. Uh, it was based on his work. I don't think he wrote the finished screenplay for it, but he, you know, it's his book that it was based on. And then he wrote, um, oh shoot, oh I'm so mad, Mirror Mask for the Jim Henson Company, which was directed by his frequent uh, collaborator on Sandman. Oh, and then my brain is poop. Oh, I almost had it. <laughs> Dang it. Anyway, um, faster, hamster, faster. I'm telling you, I think he's dead in there. But uh, I came to American Gods because of the concept, not even the fact that it was Neil Gaiman. That wasn't even it. Like, yeah, of course, I'd heard of it because of him, and I knew he was good. But when I heard the concept of it being the old gods versus these new gods, I instantly was like, yeah, I can dig that. That's more than enough to get me involved. And uh, the way it's done subtly, you know, because I don't know. It seems it's weird for how, you know, uh, again, spoilers, but Ian McShane plays Odin. Yes. You know, the god of gods, basically. Yeah. And uh, as a reader, I knew that right away. The second, maybe it's just because I happen to know that wonky thing about Woden and Wednesday that I knew when he said, that's my day, I was like, okay, well, he's like Zeus or fucking Odin, right? I was like, he's, I, I thought Zeus at first, but either way, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh... I don't know, were we supposed to know right away in the book? Were some people supposed to know right away? Because it seems like some people don't realize, like, my, my I, girlfriend doesn't really get it after, she's only seen the first two episodes, mm -hmm. and she's not quite sure who he is. I think Gaiman was bank when he wrote it, the original book, I think he was banking on the fact that Thor and Odin are probably the two most popular uh, gods of any pantheon in any culture. You know, people automatically know those before they know uh, Ares and uh, all the Roman gods and the various Greek gods and things. The Norse gods, for some reason, have more of a foothold in popular culture. Right. I mean, yeah, Zeppelin writes songs about wrote songs about them in the 70s. So I think that he made it pretty apparent. And, you know, you're picking up that book and you've read the dust jacket at least to know this about gods. So I think people put two and two together pretty quickly of who he was meant to be. I'd be wrong, but I certainly had a pretty good inclination of it when I read it. 
And you're very happy with that casting. Oh my God, yes. I mean, I haven't met a fan of the series, or I should say the book, yet that hasn't said, that's perfect, that's just the best casting ever, we couldn't hope for anything better, this is the guy we had in mind, you know, when we dreamt about it. And admittedly, I've had various actors in mind, but Ian McShane was one of them. And he was probably top of the list, actually, who I never thought they would get when they got him. I'm like, I'm sold. This series is going to be just awesome. And it is. Right. Um, I like the casting. I love the casting, but it wasn't exactly what I pictured. I'm just trying to look up. There's an actor uh, from a TV show. Was there a, there was a TV show, show called The Lost World? Wasn't there like a, a cheesy 90s-like version? Lost World? You mean like... The Lost World as in like... It's not ringing a bell. Uh, I'm going to try this one. I might be wrong. Oh, yeah, it's totally this one. Okay, so who's this actor? I'm sorry. I know it sucks to do this, people. Is this him, Peter McCauley? Show me your face. I'm not seeing his face. Anyways, there's this actor. I envisioned him a little bit more gray, a little bit more, uh, uh, not elderly, but uh, not as like gritty and gruff as an Ian McShane. More of a proper gentleman. Do you know that's, what I mean? That's, yeah, I know what you're like, saying. Like not way exactly off, not way off from what McShane was, but I pictured him. I don't know, a little, a little more gray bearded. Uh, you know what I mean? That kind of idea. Well, in the book, admittedly, they say he has like a reddish grayish beard, you know, so a little more fair complected. And he's supposed to be a big, tall, burly guy, which Ian McShane's pretty short. Um, but Ian McShane, if you guys have ever seen Deadwood, which was the series. I mean, Ian McShane's been making uh, movies since the 60s and TV series in the States since the 70s. So um, people who know him in Deadwood, it's like he had come out of nowhere. He'd been in semi-reclusion for years, and they played the most brilliant villain, Swearingen, uh, in Deadwood. So people saw him in that, and he's just this growling, menacing, <laughs> five-foot-nothing guy who scared the shit out of you. And they're like, yeah, that, that guy can be our Wednesday. Absolutely. We buy that. Oh, yeah, totally. That was a great show, Deadwood. Uh, he did an episode of the Nerdist podcast, I believe it was. And he talked all about the Deadwood experience because he was heavily involved in that, eh? Yes, yeah. Like like to getting it made and created. And uh, he was more than just an actor in that whole outfit. So that was really cool to talk about. So anyways, he's Wednesday, uh, you know, our mysterious figure. And he's a fantastic character. And our hero, of course, is Shadow Moon, who is pretty much what I envisioned, uh, maybe a little bigger and buffer in my head when I was reading the book. But uh, I think they, the actor is great. Not sure of his name at the moment, but... Ricky Whittle. Ricky Whittle. I think he's carrying the show wonderfully. I think it's a perfect uh, balance of confusion and hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> let, let me let me throw this out real quick before we get too far away from it. Um, so you were mentioning earlier who you thought you had in mind for Wednesday, right? And I, you know, I first read the book, and mostly because of the height and the demeanor, because he's such a cool cat, well spoken, really big and built. 
I picked actor David Morse, and you might not know the name, but if you've ever seen The Green Mile, uh, he was Tom Hanks' second-in-command in The Green Mile. He played Brutus, uh, Brutal, uh, in the movie, so uh, one of the one of the guards. And right, so that right. that's who I originally had in mind. At one, at one point, I saw Clancy Brown playing the role, um, so I had various thoughts for it, but like I said, I'm very open to how they interpreted it. And then jumping to Shadow, who you just brought up. In the book, Shadow is very much very in, internalized. He doesn't react to anything. He's just he's big and he's buff, but he doesn't talk. He doesn't react. You, you, you never get a description of what he looks like or anything. And because he's so internalized for this TV series, they had to change that up. You, they couldn't just do a narration so you could hear what's in his head. He had to be more of a proactive character so that's what ricky whittle brought to it and the writers changed up and i think it's a welcome addition uh yeah uh you know they they have to spread it out a little it seems as they're gonna go so i hope it's successful enough as it seems to have been that they can actually get through the whole thing uh shadow our main character he's in prison uh that's where we begin the show that he's in prison his wife uh he's gonna get out of prison then they decide to let him out a little early because his wife dies with his best friend's cock in her mouth on the highway. And they let him out, and he comes on the way back. He meets Mr. Wednesday, and basically our story's off to the races just like that. Now, uh, was this an intentional meeting, do you think? I guess you would know, so... Yeah, I mean... I I don't know if we want to spoil it that bad, because... Yeah, let's not go beyond what happens this season. We'll stay with what happens this season. Exactly, and I don't want to ruin anything for you either, so... Right, so he meets up with Wednesday on a plane, basically hires him to be his, like, right-hand man, and, uh, you know, he goes on a journey, uh, which begins with the meeting in a bar where they stop to refresh with uh, a fantastic character named Mad Sweeney. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, who claims to be a leprechaun. And he's tall as all get out. That's the brilliance of it. That's what I remember from the book, that he was huge. And he had no bones about being a leprechaun. And uh, the the coin tricks I pictured in my head that were in the book weren't quite as fancy and flashy and exuberant as the ones in the show. It was really cool the way that, you know... Well, and that's a divergence, too, because, uh, you know, there's been little changes here and there, which I totally approve of, because they work better for film and television than uh, they do in the book, because you need to see these things. So, in the book, Shadow does coin tricks to pass his time in prison. He was typically an upstanding c- citizen in the book, but his girlfriend talked him into being a driver on a bank heist, and then when it went over... His partners never paid up, so he beat the shit out of them, and they pressed charges without saying why he beat them up, so that was sort of like the unspoken agreement. He would just go to prison. No one would be any the wiser, um, and he learned coin tricks while in prison just to keep to himself and whatnot. In the TV series, he is um, a con man. So he knows coin tricks because of that, and he knows all these tells and things like that. If you guys have ever seen um, movies like The Grifters – um, and and you know movie movies about con men. Um, that's that's basically what he's all about in the TV series. And again, that works better in terms of of television. It's more of a visual element and easier to read that character. 
Uh, one thing they expanded on was his wife. Okay, so basically we learned what happened was uh, he fights Mad Sweeney in this bar, and at the end of this fight, Mad Sweeney gives him a coin, which he then takes with him to his wife's grave, his, the funeral, tosses it on the grave, and it magically brings her back to life. Now, in the book, I remember her coming to visit him, but it wasn't nearly as extensive nor her character as involved in the plot as the show seems to be going with. Truly. Uh, you enjoy this? Love it. I love it. She was interesting in the book, but again, you don't have to do quite as much in the book to to grasp the reader as you do on cinema. You know, in cinema, you're going to be seeing these actors, and if they're just standing in one place kind of looking morose, that gets old. So they made her, as far as I'm concerned, far more interesting in this TV series. They expanded her role. They made her more of a bitch. To, for lack of a better term, they made her a bitch, and she's far more interesting as the bitch. Um, and, you know, they insinuate certain things in the book, like she's protected Shadow and she's killed these guys, but they don't really go into detail on how she does it. And getting to see how she she does in these guys that get in her way in trying to harm Shadow, when they're trying to harm Shadow and she's protecting them, the visuals on that, oh my god, so brilliant. So she's like possibly my favorite character in the show right now she's entertaining as all hell and then we learn that it's in fact of course the the uh coin of the leprechaun that has in fact brought her back to life and keeping her going yeah um those uh i the the overall look of the series the first three episodes were directed by david slade who if you're not familiar with he directed 30 days of night which came out almost 10 years ago now it's one of my all-time favorite it's my favorite vampire movie hands down but slade has this visual punch that's you know very few directors have what he has so he is bringing so much to american gods and has set the visual tone uh and style the visuals are insane. It is a beautifully shot show, and it brings back that feel of uncomfortable 90s cinema. When they would put something on film that you had to squirm your way through watching, and I don't mean in a horror or a thriller way, I mean a real way. Uh, and not necessarily real, because it's obviously a fantasy story, and it's supernatural things happening, but they just put it right in front of your face, blunt and center, like... like like in a in a Quentin almost sort of way. Do you know what I mean? Like for yes. example, the uh, the Murray brother who gets eaten by the sex goddess's vagina. Yeah. Reading that in the book, you can't possibly imagine how that actually works. That she swallows a man with her vagina. Yeah, but it's so awesome how they shot that. And they make it literal. Like I was like, they won't make it literal. They'll figure something out. And no, they did it literally. Where just with clever angles and clever shots. Her vagina swallowed a Murray brother. I, and, I yeah, yeah. So they that bluntness, but the whole scene leading up to it, just the sex scene itself, was so bare and natural and simply shot. Yet they left the sweat in there and they hid nothing. And you know, it, it wasn't like gratuitous, but it was like, even though it was fantasy, it was real in a way. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. And. and they're doing yeah. this brilliantly. It reminds me of the other... My other most favorite shot thing this year was Legion. Mm -hmm. uh, Legion was shot beautifully. Very Kubrick. A lot, Obviously a lot simpler than this show. This show's like just crazy. Like, f like this doesn't even need to make sense. We're just going to make it look cool. 
where Legion was just super over-stylized and the cinematography was beautiful. But this show is like, they're not using their effects to for the powers of the gods. They're using their effects f- for the simple, like, you know, aesthetics of it. Like, it, they're putting more money into just making the story look cool than giving them, like, all these crazy superpowers. Do you know what I mean? You know, for me, it, it goes back, like most things, to Jim Henson. Like when Jim Henson did a series, The Storyteller, in the late 80s, um, he wanted to have this way of telling folk, classic folk tales but using this visual medium of filmmaking. And so you would have like a shadow show up on the side of a mug that suddenly becomes a scene in a palace or whatever. And I feel that's a lot of what they're doing with American Gods where you have like these rolling hills that suddenly become these waves of blood or something with skulls going through them. And then it suddenly becomes someone's living room. And it's 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 very trippy. It's very surreal. But it carries the story along in such a visually poetic way. And I love it. Her killing the lynch mob. Yeah was probably the craziest scene of the show for me so far that That's was just greatest. unreal that's like so gory it's beyond gory yet done so beautifully that it's art it's a really messed up thing she, the guy she kicks in the nuts and his skull and vertebrae shoot up through the top of his head oh yeah. my god was that the greatest thing ever oh come on it was pretty insane man it was oh. pretty pretty nuts so so that's one of, that's the craziest example we've seen of probably effects use but I mean, other than that, we've seen the shadow make it snow, we've seen a vagina eat a man, and uh, we've seen blood all over Chernabog's sledgehammer. One of the things that makes the show so great that people aren't even going to pay attention to, probably the best special effect of all, is that this series is shot probably 99%, in Toronto, and they're making it look like different parts of of the u.s but that's why people shoot here because it's so easy to find all those different areas we have different places that look like anywhere on earth i think that's why over since the early 90s they've shot television here because you could shoot a show like highlander and you know you could be anywhere in any time and find somewhere in ontario that looks like that yeah you know so absolutely you know it's very very cool that it's being shot here and uh you know, just another cool thing about the Toronto. But yeah, uh, I mean, I was thrilled when they were going to shoot it in Toronto. Obviously, so so that's basically the old gods we've met, uh, Chernabog and the sisters, who aren't exactly gods. They're more like I want to say, with just a very broad term, kind of like on angel level. That's a good way to put it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, they're kind of like angels more than – they're not yeah. angels, but they would be on that level. They're not gods. They're kind of subservient to, to Chernabog. So, right, right. you know, exactly. You know, just like the angels, you know, were to God and, you know. Yeah. I, so, so, yes. I, we we first meet Wednesday, who is Odin. Uh, we meet a leprechaun. So I guess he's kind of on an angelic level, too. He's not exactly a god. He's just a fantastical creature. Uh, we well, meet Chernabog, who is the... Oh, what? Is he like an Irish pagan god type thing? No, no Slavic. The leprechaun? No, it's Chernabog. No, I'm talking about the leprechaun. I said the leprechaun. Yeah, but then... He's not really a god, Chernabog. Right? Well, uh, no, I think it's still safe to say he falls in the god category because... The leprechaun? 
Yes, because fairies were were offshoots of gods. When when people stopped worshiping gods as much, and the more you know, uh, less red, more peasantry communities started to attribute things, weather and whatnot, to fairies. So gods were essentially busted up and became fairies. All right. Fairies are the crumbs of the gods. So, so the leprechaun is a little higher up than the than the sisters. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay, so we've also met, uh, I guess, was she like an African goddess of sex? She's, uh, yeah, basically African. Uh, in the in the book, it makes it sound like she's a little more Indian. She was the slave story, right? That's one of the coolest things they're doing is they're showing how the gods got to America. No, she was not the slave story. Who that was, was a Nancy. Oh, was that a Nancy? Oh, you're right. That was a Nancy, the spider guy. Yeah. Uh, what? How did did they show how she got over? Not yet. Not yet. They haven't shown how she came over. Not okay. Yet. So we've also got uh, we've met the god. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Vulcan. Who was not in the book, but a welcome addition to the series. He wasn't in the book. That's right. But he's like the like the god of like metal and forgery he's the Ro- and war. Roman god of war. Yes. Okay. So. Uh, in those flashbacks, let's touch on those for a minute, because we, we saw the Anansi one, which was Africa. Yeah. Uh, which other ones did we see? We saw the original Viking one, didn't we? For yeah, how Odin that was like got episode over. one, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the one last episode really got me, because was that Jesus or what? Yes. The Mexican one? So Jesus is in the story? Jesus was not in the book, but it was something that Gaiman had wanted to do, and there were I read like uh, an excerpt that he didn't end up using where Shadow meets Jesus at one point. Now here's the thing: this is a big spoiler, so guys, if you don't want to know, don't watch the show or don't listen to the show right now. Um, there is not going to be just one Jesus in the course of American Gods. This has already been dealt with in articles. Um, because each culture has its own Jesus. So that's why, you know, these Mexicans crossing the border illegally in the series, you know, worship a Hispanic Jesus. And you're going to have a Middle Eastern Jesus, and I'm sure there's going to be the Caucasian Jesus. But he ends up dead. What's the deal with that? I guess we're going to have to see. That's again, really again, weird. because that didn't happen in the book. I don't have... But that's also the only one where... Oh, no, we saw a Nancy on the boat. So, okay. Yeah. That's going to be really, really interesting. I wonder if the Jesuses get along and like form like a Justice League of Jesuses, like a Jesus guess, League. My guess is they never their paths don't cross because not all the gods really necessarily cross paths. Some of them are a little more, uh, right? You know, keep to themselves. I guess. So that's basically, I think, the all of the old gods. Now we start to slowly meet the new gods, who are the gods who are being born and created of America, like media. And technology. Techno boy. Uh, techno boy. And what is her name? Is Media, right? Media. Yeah. Yes. Played by the great Jillian Anderson. Who they're doing a wonderful thing with where each time they represent her through the television as a different classical TV character. Yeah. We've seen Lucy and David Bowie and... Oh, that Bowie bit just yeah. killed me. Oh, and, my God. And uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And in the book, she's only you only see her as Lucy in the book, um, because when she talks to Shadow in one scene, she's she's Lucy. And then there's a couple other scenes where it's not her per se. I mean, it's still considered media, but what it is 
is Shadow's watching an episode of Cheers in the book, and all of a sudden it gets really dark, and like Carla and Sam and all the characters from Cheers start talking to Shadow and saying, yeah, come over to our side, because those old gods are dying off, and we are the, the future, and all that shit, so. Now, we obviously know far less about the new gods than we do the old gods at this point. They've set it up that way, because the story's from our perspective. Uh, all... Here's the thing, you like you're supposed to be on the side of the old gods in a way, right? Because you're following your protagonist in shadow, and you know, and and seeing this war obviously coming together. Now, a lot of these old gods don't seem like good gods. You know what I mean? The old gods are pissed off uh, because, and you have to realize that this goes for both the book and the series. They've been forgotten. They were brought over. Thick, you know, thick in people's minds, living off of their belief. And when they came over here and they started to assimilate and they all more or less fell into the Judeo-Christian gods uh, with a few uh, noted exam uh, exceptions. But when that started to happen and and they, they couldn't feed off people's beliefs when people stopped believing them, they started wandering the earth. And they had to find other ways to sustain themselves. So some of them became grifters or prostitutes or used car salesmen. Uh, whatever mundane things and some of them still find ways to sustain themselves they need some form of belief if that means ripping people off if that means getting sexual power from them whatever that's how they're doing it so they're living on the crust of society i don't see how they're going to come back like because those you know it's not like people are just going to start believing in leprechauns and shit again right like well not all of them here's the, here's the thing not all of them want what Wednesday wants. What they don't want is to die altogether. And so Wednesday has convinced them that they need to to fight just to exist anymore because the, the new, new gods want to completely rub them out. And where Wednesday has a, a bigger agenda than he's even letting on. That's obvious. Um, and he... he uh, I, I can't say too much because you only know so much right. about it. But right. Trust, trust me on this. There's, there's, he's got a reasoning, and they're they're going along because they believe him. They they don't want to die out altogether. And what little belief they're scra scraping together from sex and grifting and whatnot, they don't want to lose that. You know. Well, sure. I mean, they want to live somewhat. So yeah, it's just it's it's a very uh, it's hard to trust anybody or where anybody's going in this show because. You know, they're they're all just hard to figure out characters, like as far as their true motivations and shit, you know, like they oh, yeah. do mostly seem resigned to the situation, but if the new gods are planning to completely wipe them out, that ain't cool for them. So I don't know. It's just like like Vulcan I when I first when we first saw Vulcan, I expected they seemed to set him up like a bad guy. But then him and Odin meet and they're like best of friends. Well, something you need to consider and you have to know a little bit of your your god history so to speak now you know vulcan's the god of war right right one of odin's many many names is glad of war because odin is the god of war in norse mythology so they right. really want the same thing the big difference is odin unlike in the tv series with vulcan odin didn't create a whole community uh around um violent mass hysteria nationalism uh, and, and gun worship, which of course is is very much an editorial on U.S. society today, and couldn't be better timed. 
Um, it's probably the scariest episode out there because it touches so close yeah. to home. And he's probably that probably makes him one of the most powerful old gods then that he's yeah. still got so much of that worship. Yeah, exactly. But as you saw in that episode, uh, Wednesday got pissed, kills him, and puts a curse uh, on the forge as he pisses into it. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is going to be interesting and weird to know what's coming next. Yeah. Well, next episode is this Sunday. I believe there's two more episodes this season. I thought that was the last. No? We're still going? It's looking like there's two more. Unless they're going to sneak some more in that I'm not aware of. Um, because I haven't heard yet. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that is not enough for a full season. Um, I think they need you know way more than that for a full season. But we'll see what happens. Right now, it's looking like eight episodes. It's so hard to keep track with the television shows and such. So... Uh, I guess the biggest questions for you are going to be, where does this Laura Moon thing go? Oh, we haven't even talked about the gin. We've got to address the gin situation because that was yeah. less extravagant in the book as well, right? Right. It was so, like one scene and you never think about it again. So this guy gets into a cab, this you know Middle Eastern guy, and somehow realizes the cab driver is a gin, which, you know, genie basically. And so he brings the gin back to his place, and they do it. They have intimate relations. The gin seems to pass some sort of power into the normal guy, and then leaves. Then the normal guy seems to be quite different, and have something inside of him, and is now obsessed with finding the gin who he just let walk out the door. So I don't understand all of that situation. I, I can help clarify that to a degree. That's, they probably could have done a better job explaining that guy's backstory in the series. Because in the book, what it is, is this little Middle Eastern guy, you know, very unassuming and scared, is sent over by his brother-in-law. He works for his brother-in-law's trinket company, and he's sent over to New York with a limited budget to survive off of, trying to convince these knick-knack shops to carry right, these right. geegaws, right? And the guy is just scared to death of America, and he doesn't know what he's doing. He's freaking out. And out of nowhere, here comes this this cabbie and he gets in the guy's cab and he realizes hey this is this is one of my people you know and he starts talking to him he sees this glow behind the guy's sunglasses when they accidentally get knocked off and he realizes he's a djinn and he's like scared and oh my god and what's going to happen and you know he he knows he's gay you know this guy realizes he's gay but he's married anyway and he's in an unhappy marriage or whatever so all of a sudden he meets this guy and he falls in love with this gin and that's why they have this tryst up in his room the idea isn't that he gets the gin's powers when the gin leaves it's that this guy is so unhappy in his own life that the gin is subversively granting a wish to him by giving him the gin's life as a taxi driver, he he suddenly escaped the t t tyranny of his brother-in-law in this shitty job that he's he's left to do in this country he's scared of, and now he's got a lot more freedom as a cabbie. But he, what the TV series takes farther is that he's in love with this gin, so now he's taking the cab and he's going to go find this gin and be happy with him. Or that's his goal. It's as simple as that, huh? They don't explain it simply enough then, like that he's just in love with the guy. They make it seem like he's got some supernatural urge to find this gin now because the gin came karma inside his bum. Well, and that's possible too. I mean, he could have some kind of uh, magical attraction to him, but I don't necessarily think he has any powers. Remember and all I... this stuff went into him and then his own eyes lit up. 
That's why well, I thought I was given the impression that it passed along or something, like the djinn went from body to body. It's a very real possibility. I don't know. I think all well, it was... That got debunked kind of right after because he admits he's like trying to find the djinn. So we know he's not right. the djinn. So. Well, right, but you might be right. and He might have imbued him with some kind of magic. I don't know. I know that in the book, uh, it's a, he gets one scene, and then later on in the book, they kind of suggest that he gets killed by one of the new gods who knocks over uh, a girder from a, from a skyscraper on top of his cab and crushes him. Huh. Um, but it's such a subtle scene in the book that you could easily not notice it. Right. Um, but they're obviously building upon his character more in this series, and I think it's definitely going to... You know, we're going to find out more, I think, as you go along, why he wants to find the djinn, though I'm certain it's just because he's so in love with the guy. Right, okay. All right, so back to the New Gods for a minute. For the first couple episodes, you're given the impression that Media is the leader of the New Gods, uh, especially with her treatment of Techno Boy, who she scolded for basically trying to lynch Shadow. Better than scolded after a while. Yeah. So... But we kind of learn that she's not really the head honcho. Now, we meet Mr. World briefly. Yeah. Mr. World is a new god. Yeah. But a very difficult to understand type of new god. Yeah. So you can't really tell us what he is without spoiling it. Because no, he, gives, he I, comes in right. and has the whole conversation with them, explains who he is, but doesn't explain who he is. All I can tell you without spoiling a single thing, is that in the book, it's a lot easier to figure out who Mr. World is, and in the series, to make it more difficult to figure out who he is, they cast two actors. Okay, so all we've seen so far is Crispin Glover? Basically. Unless it's that other guy who was in the cell with him who people are curious about as well? Because I think I heard that, right? That the, the Shadow's cellmate, he's a f very... All right, this is a potential spoiler to anyone listening. Yeah, It's, a, it's a big one, okay? Yeah. Shadow's cellmate's name is Loki Lysmith. Loki. Oh, that's right, 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 right. So that's the guy in the TV series who was helping him pump iron. And I love that actor. I thought, Jesus, how great for Loki. Um, now, in the book, Loki is Mr. World. Right. So we'll see if they make that all come together. I think it's still the case. I just think that it would have been way too obvious to have him be the same actor and keep him in shadow and never show his face or whatever. So instead they're like, okay, we're going to, so what either, either Crispin Glover's look as Mr. World is, is the true look for Loki or it is not, you know what I mean? One of the other, one of the actors is going to take prominence. Will probably so Loki is Odin's son though. No, he's his blood brother. Yet, yeah, So that makes him an old God. Why is he trying to lead the new gods to take over? I can't tell you, Jay. It's, it's oh, such a... These are the questions that shall be answered as the show continues, Yeah, kids. believe me. I just... I would really ruin it for you personally if I got that far into it. I probably shouldn't have said as much as I did, and I hope I didn't ruin anything for you, but... No, I'm perfectly happy with uh, what we've talked about so far. I'm one of those people okay. who don't mind spoilers too much. In fact, sometimes I seek them out. Uh, anything else about the show you want to touch on? 
Oh my gosh. Uh, there's just there's so much I love about it. I I ran like over a year ago, I, I saw a couple years back. This series was supposed to be produced by Tom Hanks's production company. Um, Playtone. Playtone. And the risk was at the time that they were potentially looking at NBC to do the series through, which, of course, oh, that would, have would sucked. take the teeth right out of it. There's so much you could not do on network television. So I'm thrilled that it is at a, a premium cable station where they can basically do whatever they want. There is no problems you know what i mean so i i love what they're doing i love the visuals i love the casting it's my absolute favorite tv series on right now uh we're very lucky here one second here uh we're very lucky due to the fact that we get a lot of crazy a lot Sorry, bear with me, people. On Canadian TV. Uh, Amazon, where do we watch it here? I watch it on, I think it's either Showtime or Stars. I think it's Stars. Yeah, we don't get it here. What do you I didn't watch? even realize that. Then how are you watching it? Uh, I'm not watching it. Oh my god! I haven't seen a single episode. Wait, Jay, didn't you tell me you have stars and you pay for it, right? Uh, right? You, I don't know if we can get it here. I thought just, they were going to show just it say on yes. space. Obviously you're seeing it, so let's just pretend it's through legal channels. Isn't that ridiculous that it's being filmed here, but we can't watch it here? Well, I mean, that does happen sometimes. Well, you're not going to keep me from American Gods, so... That's uh, another interesting aspect of the mythology of the show. Right. Is that these gods are essentially trapped. They were brought here by to the States by the people who believed in them and then forgot about them. So right. They, so Odin couldn't just go back to Norway if he wanted to. And that's something that's discussed in the book. I mean, not that he can't, but that he never has... He's never been outside the U.S. He, he tells Shadow that at some point. So they're trapped here. So there's a whole other Odin that still resides in Norway and probably still thrives on some form of belief over there. Right. Um, and I think that's really an interesting concept. So to that same degree, those gods couldn't even go, you know, across Lake Huron to Canada. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that – it's just fascinating to Well, does me that how, mean there's Canadian versions of them too? Because they would have been brought yes. here. By Canadian yes. immigrants, right? By all logic, yes. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna meet some. Okay, like one of the cool, there's like Native American gods that they're hinting at at some point. Like you've seen that big buffalo with the flames, right? Right. And in the in the book, it's a buffalo headed man. So it's basically a Native American guy with a big buffalo head that's sort of like a living head, and he's sitting in front of a fire, or whatever. And here it's more literally a buffalo, and it's pretty badass in either case. But um, yeah, so you're absolutely spot on. I'm sure that there'd be a whole other bunch of gods just in Canada and just in London, and, you know, whatever. So Very, very cool. Uh, it's going to be awesome to find out indeed. Um, that's pretty much it up to this point in that's, the yeah, show, I think. Without giving away too much, I think we've hit all the key points. Do you feel better? Do you feel, did you get it out, Jay? Oh, dude, I'm not done. 
You should <laughs> my okay, Travis McIntyre, publisher of Source Point Press, at least once a week, I'll bug him. I'm like, Did you watch the new episode? Cause stop what you're doing and watch it now and then call me back. And then we will just go at it because we both are just so over the moon for this friggin' show. And and we just talk about it and it's one of the few times we can talk to each other without insulting one another because you know <laughs> We're stupid that way. Well, how about when the show's over, we get old Mr. McIntyre to hook up with us, and maybe the three of us can sit down and discuss the entire season as a whole when we have a few more answers and a few more questions to talk about. Yeah, but keep in mind, he has read the book all the way through, so he's like me and will have to you know, uh, bite his tongue a few times. Well, I just I don't even care for myself so much as not wanting to spoil it for any listeners out there. That's fair uh, enough. But I, want, I don't want to – it's fun enough that it will be fun not to know. But we can discuss it up to the point at least. Yeah. But uh, Jay Fosgett yeah. uh, very recently just released uh, I Am Groot. Yeah, I did a variant cover for the first issue of I Am Groot. Just uh, hit stores a little bit ago, and it's extremely hard to find, evidently. It's fantastic, though. It's some of the best work that Jay has done. Uh, the you. color in it is incredible. Also, you just announced uh, another variant that is about to come out. Yes, uh, it is for Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe again. I did a variant for issue one, and I believe that's coming out in July. It's exciting stuff, Jay. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some fun projects, and, you know, uh, I would love to do some gaming stuff if the opportunity ever came around, so that's well, on my bucket list. Just got to keep plugging away. You've, well, you've got some crazy stuff coming up. Uh, are we allowed to talk about the the Labyrinth situation there? Oh, yeah, no. The uh, coloring absolutely. book? Yeah, uh, so the Henson Company asked for me personally to be brought on board this uh, coloring book that Arkea slash Boom is publishing, and that... I think is coming out this summer. I cannot remember. And I did 20 different illustrations, black and white illustrations of different, different scenes from the movie for that. And there's only two other artists on that particular book as well. So uh, it's going to be a, a great uh, trove for people uh, to get to enjoy and color. And so. color. You get to color yeah. it, people. You get to and get Jay's work and color it yourself. How much fun does that sound like? One of those high-profile coloring books, too, for adults that's on the real good paper. You know, not like the shoddy newsprint ones we grew up with. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, who's left? Who haven't you worked for? Dark Horse? Um, no, I haven't really done anything for Dark Horse, though I have some connections there. Uh, I haven't worked for DC yet, and that's definitely, you know, something Oh, yeah, I, I guess do. you haven't, right. Um, right. you know, I've, I've worked for Sesame Workshop, I've worked for the Hensons, so I haven't specifically worked on the Disney-owned Muppets yet, and I've been forging away at that for the last few years, and, uh, Joe Books out of Toronto had the license for a while, and evidently they're losing that that particular license and i don't know what disney is doing with the muppets as far as comics go but supposedly something is happening somewhere it's so weird that you're getting all this love from marvel yet your style is would be so much more fitted to so many dc projects that well, yes and no well i just I mean, mean i just mean not necessarily titles or properties i just mean the way they do a lot more for kids that's true. And families. Like, there's a lot more, like, animated spinoffs or cartoons or comics or whatever you call that they gear towards, like, a G-rated audience. Well, you and know? that's – you're totally right. But what what I'm fortunate 
for is that I love Marvel so much and I love these properties they've put me on are the ones that you wouldn't immediately associate with my cartoony style. And I'm so thankful for that because if I were at DC and there would be like, hey, we want you to do a Sylvester and Tweety story for our Looney Tunes comic, I would do it. I would not be totally over the moon for it. Right. You know, because right, right. that's not my dream work at all. It's like I, I like being able to do my kind of cartoon lunacy the way Scotty Young does it, you know, and just gets to interpret these straight characters in his own goofball way. That's what I like to do. So. Sure, sure, sure. Anyone can do Bugs Bunny in a cartooning style. Well, I'll be surprised if someone doesn't start a petition soon to get you on Squirrel Girl because that's been a big buzz lately. Oh, I would kill to Heard that from a I came close. Peoples. I came very close. I auditioned for the uh, Great Lakes Avengers book that they just put out, and they went with a wiser choice, someone with a little more superhero background. So, Well, that's cool. There's so much fun stuff coming from J.P. Fosgett. Got to check yeah. out J. Fosgett Art on Facebook, jpfosgett.com, is it? Just jfosgett.com Just Jay website. But yes, the jfosgett art page, which you... You got to make uh, up your mind about this P, man. <laughs> Toilet humor. <laughs> no, um, no jfosgett.com uh, was a website that was built for me forever ago by a former friend's ex-boyfriend. And so I had that uh, that address, so that's why it was never jpfosgett.com. But uh, who knows? You know, someday it might be jpfosgett.com. But it's all the same guy. J.P. No Fosgett, yeah. it's all the same goddamn guy. I love this guy. You're a good guy, Jay, and I love you. I love you. Thanks for hanging out and talking some American gods. Yes. With the kids tonight. Kids, we will be back. With more stuff from somebody else talking about some other shit sometime. Jay Clark, you're my Canadian god. I oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the god of gluttony. <laughs> the and god maple of maple syrup. Yes, the god. <laughs> oh, the god of ganja. I wonder if there's like well, no, I guess that would be Christ, wouldn't it? Really. I think it's more like a Nancy, but. Well, Ra no, Rastafari. You know. I'd, yeah. I'd, you know, but even the Egyptians, you know, oh, that's one god we didn't mention. We'll go out on mentioning quick was uh, not is it Anubis? Uh, she was one of them. And the de well, the death guy. It was that was such a sweet story. The old European woman who he takes to the doors. Yeah. And she has her, you know, soul weighed with the feather on the scale. Yes. Yes. It was it was like scary but sweet that she ended up okay. So. Yeah, no, yeah. that was awesome. You were but gonna then see dead wife is all like, no, screw it. And he's just like, what? You can't do that? Oh, it's going to be great. She was awesome. I like that her name now is dead wife to Mad Sweeney, too. That's a good time. <laughs> all yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, man. Uh, thank you, sir. Kids, that's all we're going to have this week. Or this episode, at least, of An Elegant Weapon. Tech kiddies.